Hello and welcome to today's podcast interview. My name's Phil Wainwright and I'm in conversation today with Tim Barker, whose long experience in technology has taken him from startup to Salesforce and beyond with special emphasis on data science. He's now CEO of Zenzone, a venture we'll discuss in a moment. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me here. So, Tim, you've been at Zenzone for, what, six weeks now? That's right. Uh, as CEO, t- tell me, wh- why Zenzone? What, what does it do? What are you looking forward yeah, to? Yeah, so, um, so, you know, I spent the last few years, as you said, really steeped in the sort of data, AI, and enterprise software industry. Having, you know, just sort of sold my previous company a couple of years ago, I was really uh, looked out to market to see where I want to spend the next decade of my life. And I think there's probably two qualifiers. One was to look for something where I can wake up every day on a problem that I'm going to be excited about working on. Uh, and, and two is to really look at an area where there is a huge potential to apply data and AI for the long term, for the good um, of humanity. And um, Zenzone crossed my path. Zenzone is the UK's largest digital mental health provider. Um, been going since 2001, an incredibly long tenure, um, is a really trusted provider to the NHS um, and serves our services available to more than two and a half million children and young people in the UK. So, so Tim, what does that mean, a digital mental health provider? Yeah, so obviously mental health is one of the defining health challenges of our time. Coronavirus aside, you know, it's something that if you look um, through the research that the NHS himself has done, you know, within within any given year, one in four individuals will have some diagnosable mental health problem. Um, If you look at the cost of business, Deloitte did some research last year where they estimated it's a £43 billion annual cost to UK businesses. And like all things, you know, uh, when there is this rise, exponential rise in demand, our health services need to think a bit more creatively about how they can support that. Um, What Zenzone does is really provide a free digital solution that allows an individual to come online um, to get mental health support, maybe through a few approaches. One might just be through content that our clinicians or our community has created. They might uh, participate in sort of chat sessions or um, forum sessions with like-minded people that have gone through the the journey or the challenges that they've got. Or they might want one-to-one counselling and that they can get that online from their phone through a kind of text, you know, messaging-based uh, approach. Um, and um, and really that, you know, what we found, you know, in our 15-plus years is, is this choice of services that really uh, is what people want, right? There's no panacea for mental health. There's no single universal approach that's going to work. Uh, and through doing this, we can then provide access. In a, we can, there's a huge number of benefits. One, we can provide early intervention. We can stop things getting to a point of escalation. Bear in mind that uh, a, a crisis, a bed, uh, if you need to be host, you know, go into hospital, you're looking at probably about £200,000 a year plus well, I, and, for and patient if, support. If, if someone with a mental health issue goes into hospital, that can, um, particularly if they're sectioned, that can be something which kind of impacts the rest of their life, doesn't it? Exactly, so, that's so, right. So you know, early intervention. Yeah. So, but I mean, to back up a bit there for what Zenzone eventually, in a nutshell, has done, it's taken the traditional mental health services and put them online and on mobile, I guess. Exactly. So the Asking the question, if you were to design it now, what would you, what would you create as a service? Right. You create something where users can get free access. Mm-hmm. 
um, you'd create it, and we'll perhaps talk more about this, you'd create it so it's anonymous because there is a stigma associated so that you don't need to be named individual to yep. get the support you need. Right. And then you provide people with the effort, we provide people with, the con- allow them to be in control so they can choose what, what we call therapeutic support that they want to get based on what they need. And then you'd make sure we've got a robust clinical uh, oversight and governance of this so that if we need some intervention, if our there's a safeguarding issue that we can also engage with individuals there to help them. So people can talk to professionals or they can just interact with other people in the community? Correct. There's a community aspect to it similar to what you might expect on a kind of social network with one huge difference, which is that everything's moderated um, because there is a safeguarding aspect to this as well. Um, you want to make sure that if you've got a 15-year-old uh, who wants to talk about bullying at school or something, they're talking to other 15 year olds but there is a moderation to make sure that everything that is there stays positive and supported so you're safeguarding to make sure that people are speaking interacting with people from their own age group um, and you're also um, moderating to catch everything that's being put in so that if someone says something that requires action then correct that's right yeah that's right so we've got clinical guidelines for really what is um, to some degree appropriate type of content and the right way to, to talk to raise a a topic and then obviously from a safeguarding perspective so there is a point of escalation so the main thing is is the whole the the fundamental foundational thing for our service is safety right that there is a safe place where you are going to be supported and get and with a supportive community and also supported counseling um, through our practitioners so so you've been going 15 years so how widely is this used now yeah so um, I would say uh, it started 15 years ago very much as a bootstrapped our founder Elaine it was a passion project of hers if you think about 15 years digital was you know this was the web 1.0 before the iPhone <laughs> exactly that's right so so really through tenacity um, you know over the long term we've really built this incredible relationship with the NHS with the clinical commissioning groups and um, uh, and now you know our service is available to 70% uh, through 70% of clinical commissioning groups probably to a population of 11 to 25 year olds probably around two and a half million people are able to use our service um, so it's the largest service of its kind uh, in the UK. We are the UK's largest provider. Right. And, um, and obviously working with the NHS, we also then make sure that we have a, we, we provide them with clinical data that goes back to their uh data sets so that they can measure the access and the outcomes that we provide. Right. So so you're being paid, paid effectively by local health authorities or, or um, that's probably an outdated way of yeah, expressing how the NHS Clinical commissioning works, groups. Yeah, right. Clinical right, yes. commissioning groups yeah. um, around the country who contract you to provide that service and then people get to hear about the service and come along and make use of it. Correct. That's right. So a big part of what we also do is when we've partnered up with, uh, let's say, a commissioning group in Manchester will they also have a team that will then focus on driving awareness of that and while that you might think of that awareness would be online and we'd be in social media and those things which we are we also visit GPs mm-hmm. go to schools right. present at assemblies all of these other things to really make sure that we can drive awareness and remove stigma and make sure that service is known for those that, that want to access it So can I just check what something because you said it's anonymous but you also said 
said, you make sure that people are interacting with people of the right age and, uh, and obviously um, the commissioning groups want to make sure that they're not paying for people that aren't in their area to use the service. So how does that, how do you reconcile all of that with anonymity? Great, great point. And it's probably through a separation of two things. There's one which is an entitlement check that you would go through, which would be, perhaps it might be as simple as um, where, where in the country are you based? What is your age? Um, and then once you've gone through that gate to some degree, then you go through a sign up, which is then an anonymous one. Once you've signed up uh, as part of that and you've done your entitlement check, we, we've built a privacy by design approach for this, which means that you know we're not we're basically dropping IP addresses that come through our service, so that we're 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 technically unable to reverse engineer from uh, a service and you know users uh, login name back to any kind of geolocation. Right. So your plan now is to take this service into the business arena, apparently. Correct. You know, mental health is an area that doesn't just affect, you know, children, young adults. It's become a defining, you know, issue of our time. And as we've spoken, and as I did my due diligence, you know, as you look for organisations, you know, whether it be through the stress or whether it be through the next generation of people that are coming into work, there's a much higher expectation that organisations are there for your entire well-being as opposed to nine to five. Um, And so as part of that, um, we are now starting to expand into B2B, uh, working with corporates. Um, And I think, you know, we've sold a number. It's an area of huge growth for us because there's just a high demand for that. The ROI for the organization is pretty clear in in maybe three areas as well. Clearly, there's an employee engagement piece, um, which is great for, you know, engaged employees uh, uh, perform better at work. There's an employee retention piece as well. Um, and there's also an, a, an attainment piece, the fact that those that are, you know, a good chunk of time spent off sick is through mental health. So if we can help improve uh, your employees' well-being, um, we can help improve the business performance. So it's a win-win for everyone. Yeah, yes. I, mean, I, I think it makes sense that if you're concerned about people's well-being, then you need to look after the mental health aspect as well. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, nowadays with automation particularly I think work is getting more stressful we're all being expected to do more and more Um, and we probably have less time to kind of give our brains a rest while we're doing the mindless stuff because you know that's automated so so I I can see that there's you know a demand for that where where do you see um, uh, what what sectors do you think are going to be so where where we're starting uh, and seeing some real uh, traction is you might call it first line workers those that interact Interact with the public uh, or with citizens. Um, so, take an example of a contact centre. Um, uh, went to meet um, one of our customers last week that operates a contact centre providing um, benefits services. Think of the high pressure, high stress uh, work environment you have there. Um, uh, what I was told is that typically, you know, even if you look at employee sick leave, it's perhaps about 15 to 20%, wow. which is a huge amount. Just That's because horrendous, of the, isn't it? Well, it, I mean, it clearly shows that there's some... There, there's something to be addressed there, really. That that's that's an outlier. And so I, you know, either they're using the wrong chairs or something else is going <laughs> exactly. on. Yeah. So so clearly, there's a, there's an opportunity there to improve on the well-being. 
Um, and, and so that's really what we're now starting to take a digital first approach. It's also exasperated if you've also got a remote team as well. Maybe something you could address as a program if you are in, you know, all of your team is one office. If you now start to look at field-based employees or remote workers, you've now got this additional challenge of how are you going to create and support your employees mm. in the inner kind of well-being to me- and mental health context. Yes. Yeah, so and, and so that, digital first is clearly the way to do that. Mm. But it's not. It doesn't mean that. It, that it, what it means is that our technology enables a human to human interaction as well. We are not just trying to completely automate your well-being <laughs> through it through a human touch-free experience so the counselors that we we have got the one you know the one-to-one ability that we've got to then support an individual is a is a critical part of that as well yes so i mean i was going to say that obviously this is where the conversation brings in the coronavirus topic uh, which everyone is thinking about at the moment because i'm sure that particularly those first-line workers who you think of uh, retail environments uh, uh, places where people are receiving and dealing with members of the public uh, this must be particularly stressful at the moment. Yes, I mean, we, you know, uh, we are seeing a rise in demand. Yeah. And also we're starting to provide, as a healthcare provider, essentially, yeah. we're starting to work with our current customers to look at what we can do to provide overspill capabilities as well. Yeah. Because that remote first piece also has a knock-on effect that for organizations that are providing face-to-face services today to support people that, you know, maybe in a mental health program, uh, if we if we move to... Uh, social distancing um, it may be an area where digital can also help bridge and provide uh, support for existing programs as well as uh, overflow for those that are that are looking for any support I mean we're in an incredibly anxiety creating time as we all know we're all wake yeah. up reading the news none of us have been to anything quite like us uh, through this before so so yeah it's certainly something that as a remote first company ourselves and as a health tech company we are we're seeing increased demand on us and an ability perhaps then to put a digital first approach to support this growing demand that there is yes and, and obviously there's there's a need for like physical health care to be delivered in a more kind of effective way as well I think as, as, as time goes on we, we're going to see some 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 big developments I think on the uh, the, the, the remote contact side of things mm. um, so uh, this is uh, probably very good timing on your part too. and of course yeah early intervention is always a great place to provide that as well if yeah. you can provide it instantly you can provide instant access yes to a avoid escalation, that's got a huge long-term benefit, as you'd expect, um, for all kinds of healthcare. So let's talk a little bit about the kind of AI um, angle on this, because, I mean, we you were saying that there's 15 years of data uh, that's being collected, uh, and you see potentials to, um, to to apply machine learning to that and, and perhaps um, be more, you know, help Yes, more yeah, effective. I mean, everyone's got their, their probably their, their angle on, on, on A, the, the role, the future role for AI, maybe it breaks into two camps. You've got the, uh, 
the automation side of it. And, and I think, you know, and we've spoken before, Phil, about the, the augmentation side, the ability to take this kind of coaching networks type pattern that Emergence Capital came up with a couple of years ago. Yeah, so and that, that was an interesting concept of actually uh, creating a feedback loop so that the machines learn from the humans, they give learning back to the humans, and then the humans adapt their behavior from which the machines learn again. Exactly, that's right. So it essentially makes us a better version of ourselves, right? The ability for us to learn from the collective experiences of others. And you see this pattern playing out in lots of different markets in CRM um, through to, I think, where we can see it playing out is in mental health um, or even positive behavioral change. If you want to become better at focusing or prioritization, you know, it's not just about dealing with anxiety and stress, perhaps. It might also be around coaching you to be a better leader in your business. So where we're starting to work is we've got a huge corpus of data, the largest mental health data set um, on the planet, given the history that we've been working in this on. All of it has been has got clinical governance over it because of the moderation that we do on everything. So we've got a labeled data set, which is a machine learning sort of engineer would tell you is the, the dream of everyone. And so what we're really starting to look at is how we can use that to augment, not automate the experience that we've got. That might be as simple as signpost to individuals to say, here's three or four things that have helped people like you, given the given what your needs are. It might also be to help identify potential risk early on so that we can flag safeguarding issues. So really where we're starting on that is really to focus on augmentation. The idea of having a chatbot that's going to provide you with uh, that one-to-one experience is some way out in the future, and we'll let the rest of the market deliver that tech, and then we can apply our data to that. But the, we, we might be a day away from that. Yes, but I, I, I think that even if that, I mean, I think I would prefer, to be honest, given what we're talking about, if there was some kind of human filtering of that of that data. So I think, you know, I'd be looking for the AI, the machine learning to augment the mental health professional's ability to help me. Exactly. Exactly. Totally exactly. That's right. But, because but it's think, a human, yeah. there is a huge value in a human led service yes. and experience. Right. And if tech and AI can help augment just in that coaching network to help our counselors and practitioners provide a better experience to the to our service users. That's a phenomenal advantage that we can use our data for. Well, I think that's that's very interesting, and and, and certainly I think you know there's been a lot of focus on well-being, um, and very often it's it's something that put, that people put in corporate statements, uh, but there's not much substance behind it. So so you know hopefully this kind of work can put a little bit of substance behind it. It is. I mean, I think it's, yeah, certainly if you just look in the broader context of, um, you know, in the investor market now, there's this trend towards ESG as a theme, right? You've got environment, social, and governance embedded yeah. in there. From a um, corporate perspective, we're moving to a profits plus purpose world. You know, Larry Fink, the CEO at BlackRock a couple of years ago, gave this huge, who drives a huge amount of CEO action, you know, gave that famous statement around it's not just about your financials now it's about your positive impact to society and employees are part of those stakeholders as part of that so I think the the tide's moving in the right direction it's the kind of business that we'd all want to be part of is one that does look for our well-being as opposed to driving for the dollar and I really that coming back full circle that's why I'm here I couldn't think of a better problem to spend my next decade on than focusing on embedding this 
a digital first approach to support organizations, you know, consumers, citizens and employees. Well, that's a terrific note to end on. Uh, fine ambition. We'll, we'll, we'll track that with interest. Um, thank you, Tim Barker, CEO of Zenzone. I'm Phil Wainwright, and this has been a Diginomica podcast.